You are listening to the Sermon Podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. We are in week two of our Go series. Pastor Rick did a great job last week. If you haven't seen it yet, go back and watch it. This is week two of kicking off this series for us as people, how do we live on purpose? And I think that is something every single one of us longs for. I mean, is, not, is that not true in your life? Don't you long for meaning and purpose to your life? That is part of being created in the image of God to long for meaning and purpose. And that is unique to us. Like, I don't think cows worry about that. If you're driving down the street watching cows, like, I don't think that cow's over there just like, wish I was more than a dairy cow, you know? I feel like I was created for Angus or maybe a brown cow. I could be chocolate milk. And we can admit that's a great cow impression. I think I, we all understand. But right, I don't think cows think about that. But we as people do, we long for purpose. And now this week in week two, living on purpose, we get into vocation. And what do we do? Our work. And I think instantly a problem arises right? A hundred percent of us long for purpose. The last survey I saw, only about 17% of us actually find meaning and purpose in our work. That's about half your waking hours, about half your existence. We're longing for purpose and we have no idea how to bring purpose to this major part of our life, our vocation. Pastor Rick did a great job of helping us understand if you long for purpose as a created being, you need to connect to the creator. God is the one that brings us purpose, and therein lies some of the problem. There's, you know, our experience of God, and then so much of the rest of our life, and we don't know how to bring those two together. That's my hope this morning, that we can begin to connect some of those things, our work and our vocation in there, start to feel and experience the purpose for which we are created. To do that, there's kind of a couple things I hope. I want us to understand our categories, compensation, and our calling. That's where we're going. Three C's, categories, compensation, and our calling. Because I want to bridge this massive gap in our lives between our work, our vocation, and God. So first start with categories. How do we do that? To bridge this gap, we need to make sure we get our categories right. See, in the Old Testament, God called his people, this is before Jesus, to kind of break all of life into different categories. And he says it in this way in Leviticus 10. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and clean. And so they saw all of life broken into these different categories. Now, clean and unclean, I think we can wrap our head around it, right? There are clean activities and unclean activities. There's good things and bad, right? Like things that are good of helping the poor, forgiving people, right? There are things that are just inherently bad lying, murder, cheering for Michigan, right? Like there are certain just innately wrong, evil things, right? I'm kidding, ish, right? So we, we get that category. 
Here's the problem. I think we've kind of developed another category that we got to figure out what to do with in our life. Right? Because not just good and bad things, we understand that. But that first one, this is what I've been chewing on. Holy and common. Right? There are holy things. Like, okay, going to church, communion, reading our Bible. There's these holy things. And then so much of our life falls under the common category. This is so much how I viewed life being raised Catholic. Right? You go to Mass, and there was very holy people. You had priests and nuns, and there are holy things and holy places. You know, the altar was just seen as very holy. And there are holy things on that altar. The, and when you'd get communion there, there was like a golden box, and they'd open the golden box, and a golden chalice would come out of that box, and it just screamed, oh, wow, that's holy. The problem is, there was a railing at that altar. And so those are holy things on that side. And how do I feel on this side? I'm not like one of those holy things. Maybe I can approach the altar and that will help me. But then most of my life, not just deep sin, falls into this other category of common, not holy. So that Hebrew word, common, can be translated differently. Here's a couple of different ways it can be translated common, ordinary, but catch this, ultimately not holy. I think this is how most of us view our vocation. Not necessarily bad. Accounting isn't evil. You know, working as a chef isn't evil. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing inherently sinful about it, but in our minds, it is ordinary and common and ultimately not holy, right? There are so many things in our life that seem, we have this almost neutral category, but as we taint it with our sin, our vocation and our jobs, ultimately it feels not holy. And even for in the Old Testament, not holy meant unfit for worship. You had to go through sacrifices, rituals, to be welcomed back into worship in the presence of God. I think that's how most of us approach our vocations. Right? It is in this third category that feels neutral, but ultimately is unholy. And actually, I just went to a conference on sexual intimacy with Julie Slattery, and it was really helpful. Because in some ways, I think that's kind of how we view work. That's how some of us in churches were kind of taught about sex. And it's like, okay, can we say that at church? I don't know. This feels a little bit weird. And that's how it feels to us. Like, okay, it's common. Like, there's a lot of people here, so somebody's doing it, right? Like, this is a part of life. But, but it feels a little unholy. It feels a little dirty. So that means we don't talk about it in church, and we surely don't involve God in it. And she was saying, God created this. Let's reclaim this space. I think work is the same way God created work that is not a part of the fall. So we need to reclaim this space and get it out of this ordinary common category. It's not spiritual. It's not holy. But then once we put it in that category, we separate it from God. Because it's ordinary and ultimately not holy, most of our waking hours, we live in this category that is severed from God. It's an interesting show, and in the show, there is this procedure that you can get called severance. 
And it's a surgery that you can get to where you can completely sever your work life from the rest of your life. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, here's just the trailer to help you wrap your head around it. I give consent to sever my memories between my work life and my personal life. I acknowledge that once the procedure is complete, I will be unable to access my personal memories whilst on the severed floor. Say gratitude. Nor will I retain work memories. Hey. Sorry. When I return home at the end of the day. I make these statements freely. <laughs> Some of you are like, man, that's creepy. Some of you are like, can I get that? Is that like a real thing? Because I would love to get that, to be able to just completely sever my work from the rest of my life. Like, I, I don't know if AI has figured that one out. Somebody chat GTP that thing. Like, as far as I know, you could correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that procedure exists, right? I don't think that surgery exists. But I think all of us have a little bit of a severance syndrome, right? Where we have completely separated these areas of our life, and therefore, we can't find purpose. I mean, I told you, go be on purpose at your job. You're like, I work at Inatech as a software engineer filling out TPS reports. Like, I'm not, my, my, I'm not bubbling over with purpose here, right? Like, how do I do that when I'm, you know, driving Uber? So we don't know. So we separate it. And we sever this, and we become just two separate people. A.W. Tozer, in The Pursuit of God, explains some of the danger of this that I think we're all in danger of doing. Let's look at this quote. One of the greatest hindrances to internal peace, which the Christian encounters, is the common habit of dividing our lives into two areas, the sacred and the secular. And these areas are conceived to coexist apart from each other and to be morally and spiritually incompatible. And as we are compelled by the necessities of living to be always crossing back and forth from one to the other, our inner lives tend to break up so that we live in a divided instead of unified life. Somebody tell me Tozer got it wrong. How much of us is that true kind of in the show, it happens in the elevator. They go in the elevator, and then they switch. How many of us have been riding that elevator for too long? Right? Where we're one person at work, and then one person at church. And they're very different, and we don't know how to bring it together. Right? At church, you know, it's just say, praise the Lord, brother. He is good all the time, all the time. He is good. Let me get that door for you. And then Monday morning... I'm going to break my foot. Right? We have these so separate, how we act, why we do it, and then we wonder why. We completely sever this from God. We put it, this in the unholy common category, don't involve God, and then we go, I just don't feel full in purpose. Because we don't know how to connect it with God. We need to stop severing those. That is the work of Satan that has severed your vocation from God. we got to figure out how to connect that and get our categories right. 
Stop placing, and I don't care if you work at a school, in the medical field, whatever it is, stop placing that in the common, ordinary, not holy camp. See, when Jesus came around, he changed everything. And even for the Jewish people, it was hard to get rid of these categories. It's hard for us to get rid of these categories. And the apostles were wrestling with this. And this is when Peter was told to finally begin to get rid of these categories. It goes beyond just switching it. Okay, work is holy. Jesus blows up the categories. Look at Acts 10. What God has made clean, do not call common. God gets rid of this ordinary common space and says, stop calling it common. That is clean. That is holy. You see, that verse is in quotes. You know who the apostle's quoting there? God. That's the big dog. That's the alpha and the omega. That's the creator who's speaking here. Peter has a dream, and God is telling him, stop calling. So much of your life is ordinary. It isn't. It isn't common. It is clean. It isn't secular. If you do it as an offering to God, when you go to work tomorrow, and maybe you just work as a stay-at-home mom, you head down the stairs doing sacred, holy work. Look at these. And I think when we understand these verses, it revolutionizes the way that we see it. Again, in pursuit of God, Tozer makes the point further. Look at the quote of A.W. here. Every act of this life is and can be as truly sacred as prayer or baptism. It may be hard for the average Christian to get hold of this idea that his daily labors can be performed as acts of worship acceptable to God. Do you understand how this would revolutionize our lives and our churches if we actually believe that? But we break things down of those are holy, sacred things, and then the rest of my life. You know, and again, like as a Catholic, that's how I viewed everything. That there are sacred things and then regular things. You know, as we look at this cup, is this a sacred cup? We, you know, we got this. We got it where you get everything else. I'm sure we got off of Amazon. This came off an of Amazon truck. Like, this isn't just a sacred cup. And we need to get rid of this idea of holy and common. We need to stop severing these so much and being different people. What if we saw our work this way? Not just, it doesn't mean you're just singing worship while you work. I'm just talking about doing the job that you are gifted to do. I want you to look at these two verses together. This is fascinating. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And in Isaiah, the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship him with sacrifice and offering. Why did I put those two verses up there together? Why did I underline those two words? The reason I did that is that in Hebrew, that's the same word. Feels like different words, doesn't it? It does for us. Work, that's different than worship. Worship, that's different than work. 
That's the same word. In God's economy, work is a form of worship. What if you saw your job that way? And I don't care if you're a machinist or a mom, whatever your vocation is, whatever you're called to kind of put your energy to, what if you realized you were participating in a form of worship? I want you to do that. I want you to do this. You know, tomorrow morning, you know, when you're heading out to the office or wherever you go, when you leave, I just want you to tell everybody, hey, everybody, see you later, heading off to worship. If they weren't a part of the sermon, they're going to be confused. Like, I didn't know there was a service at the church. Is it a praise and worship service? So hopefully they know what you're talking about. But I don't even care. You don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to announce it. When you get in your car Monday morning, or if you're walking down the stairs, I want you to say and tell yourself, okay, I'm getting ready to worship. Because God says work is worship when it's done as an offering to him. And when we involve him in that, there is wonderful purpose. Part of how Martin Luther, who really kind of helped kind of Christians see this, there's a great quote from J.D. Greer kind of talking about how we as Christians can see the purpose in our work. This is fascinating. Martin Luther was instrumental in breaking down the artificial divide between sacred and secular work. In God's economy, all work done in faith should be seen as a vocation, literally a call from God on our lives. I recently ran across an interesting passage of his talking about God working through our human work, where he refers to our work as the masks of God. God could easily give you grain and fruit without your plowing and planting, but he doesn't want to do so. These are the masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. What is your work? What's the mask of God? It is how God provides for society. Right? I mean, who ultimately thinks that God ultimately is our protector? Raise your hand if you think ultimately God is your protector, right? Get your hands up. That's like, that's an easy one, right? Now, God ultimately is my protector. So go ahead, run this scenario. So when somebody breaks into your home, do you just stop and pray in front of them? Well, God, you're my protector. Protect thine. No, you call the police, right? You call the cops, and you're probably praying as you do it, you know, trying to remember, what's the number to 911? <laughs> right? And a God-honoring police officer that comes to protect the society is the very mask of God. How does God provide for us? Through people, through people doing work. You're not just a waitress, right? Again, is God ultimately your provider? Raise your hand if you think God is ultimately... This isn't everyone. Get them up. (laughs) So when you're hungry, do you just pray, God, send thy manna? (laughs) No! You go to Chick-fil-A. You go to the store. How does God provide food? Farmers. God wants to use us as his hands and feet. 
And you got to get rid of common and holy. And it doesn't, that's not just teachers and nurses. If you are helping provide a service or a product, see that is sacred work. I don't care if you work at a paper company in Scranton. That can be holy work if done as an offering to God. Work is worship. It's the very mask of God as he provides for a society. I do feel like I need to caveat a little bit, right? Because there still are sinful things. There still are wrong things. Romans 14, 14 says, look, you know, in Christ Jesus, nothing in and of itself is unclean. But that doesn't mean you can't do wrong things, right? And so on some level, like, I want to caveat that you're providing some service. There's not sacred and secular services. But, like, if you work in a gang, you might want to dust that resume off. You know, hop on that LinkedIn and start looking around. Like, there was a gangster in the 50s and said, hey, God needs Christian gangsters. No, he doesn't. He really doesn't. And so, yeah, if you're working in a factory that makes a potion that makes babies mean and angry, I don't think that is real. But I'm saying, yeah, if you're in an industry that is doing wrong things, that's one thing. But by and large, whatever field you're in, get rid of this category of secular, common, and ultimately separated from God. All work done for God is an offering to him is worship. I want us to see it this way. Every ordinary job done as an offering to Christ is extraordinary. To see the purpose in that and to see God's hand in that, to do it as an offering to him. So you've got to get the category right. You don't have a secular job where there's ministry jobs. This isn't common. What makes things holy? You know, when Moses saw the burning bush and said, this is holy ground, it's not because it was a holy bush. It was because the presence of God was there. Right? So your office, your cubicle isn't holy or unholy. And listen to me, if you are in Christ, when you enter that space, you are on holy ground. The spirit of God dwells, you, dwells in you and therefore that cubicle, that restaurant, that bus, that wherever you work, that is a holy place. And I want you to worship God as such in that place. So we need to understand the categories. And I also want to understand a little bit of the compensation as well. Right? Because in a worldly sense, what is our vocation in work that is our paycheck. Look at these kind of together. See, a kingdom vocation is I work as my offering in obedience to God. In a worldly sense of vocation and work, it is my significance and my security. I've been trying to watch myself in this. I don't want to say I am a pastor because that makes it sound like it is my identity as opposed to my offering to God. And I'd encourage you to be careful of that too. How quickly in our society do we go to wherever we get our paycheck, well, that is our identity. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm this or I'm that. No, that's something I do. That is not my significance. That is not my identity. 
And while I think we sever God from our calling, one thing, I want to connect those, but one thing I do want to sever is your view of vocation with compensation. And that's all it is. My identity comes from where I get paid. I just talked to somebody after first service. Well, they're retired. Oh, I don't have a vocation. Yes, you do. We can't just say, and again, think about that as a stay-at-home mom. Well, I don't get paid for that. Is that not God-honoring work? Husbands, get that answer right. Yes! Whether you get paid for it or not, Paul sometimes would work a job on the side as he's doing ministry. Stop linking it to your paycheck so desperately because that's the worldly view. What is a job? I do what I have to so I can get paid so then I can do what I want to do. And eventually retire and stop doing all that stuff. Don't see it that way. Now, your job, your vocation, if you do get paid, that can be a mask of God's provision. There's no doubt about that. But you need to get this clear in your minds. If you are looking to your jobs as your security, you are in trouble. If it is your security and your identity, your work is not a form of worship, it is your worship. Your work isn't a way or where you worship, it is what you worship. When that is your identity, and your security. Let's look at this verse together in 1 Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Are you okay because you have a good job? Or are you okay because God provides for you? I hope we answer that question correctly because if we get that confused that all my security is in my job security now I'm beginning to worship my work it's taking the place of God in my life think of how much freedom we would have in our lives if we all believe this that no it's not my job yeah man maybe God is providing for me through that currently it is God who provides for me stop just connecting so perfectly our vocation and our purpose with where we get paid. In God's life, in Paul's life, in our lives, that's a part of it. But man, that is not all of it. So don't think of jobs as just compensation. It is an offering in a form of worship. But ultimately and finally, we have to get our calling right. This is something we all wrestle through. What am I called to? Am I called to be a teacher? Or am I called maybe into missions? What is my calling? We need to get these ordered right in our lives because part of it, so I would say you have a primary calling and a secondary calling. Oz Guinness does a great job at kind of delineating between these two. Our primary calling as followers of Christ is by him, to him, and for him. First and foremost, we are called to someone, God, not to something such as motherhood, politics, we're teaching. We toil so much about the something. What is it that we need to do? Should I do this or that? Those questions are important. I beg of you in your mind, put them secondary. My primary calling is a child of God and to be a minister of his. My primary calling is to glorify God in all that I do. What if you didn't define yourself by what you do? 
And you define yourself by your primary calling of whom it is that you serve. Think of what 1 Peter says when he talks about our calling. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What if when you talked about your calling and your vocation, you saw yourself primarily a part of what Luther said, the priesthood of all believers? What if every single one of us, whether we get paid or not, got up tomorrow morning and knew our primary job was to be a minister of Christ? You know, being raised Catholic, sometimes when people hear priest, you know, we can associate it differently. Or I'm not talking about a Roman Catholic priest. I'm talking about a representative of God in this world. I think one picture that comes to my mind that is helpful to connect. If you've ever gone to a mass and they do the, the little incense and they spray that incense and that stuff is pungent. See, that's part of the, the priest's job to spread that aroma. What if this week you knew your job, as the scriptures say, is to spread the aroma of Christ, to share Jesus? And I'm not saying you need to listen to worship music the whole time. I hope you share your faith kind of with your coworkers, but God isn't just pleased when you're doing that. The way that you go about your work, not serving your boss, but serving your ultimate boss. I mean, Colossians 1.10 says, live out your calling. Okay, what is my calling? A child of God to be a minister in a worthy manner. Okay, what if I understood? I don't care who sends you a paycheck. That's job number one. My primary calling. Somebody asks you, what do you do? I'm a minister of the gospel. Oh, I get paid by an architecture firm. I get paid by a steel shop. But my primary calling, look, all those other things are secondary. They change. Careers change. Vocations can change. But your calling to be a minister of the gospel never changes. And so as you think about work as worship, think of that severance elevator. Man, am I missing my primary calling? I mean, we're all ministers. The only questions are, am I doing a good job of it or not? And do I need to repent of the way that I treat people because I've got my callings out of order? I think my vocation is primary and that is driving me. Or do I have my callings in order? And I know my job is to be ambassador of Christ and share Jesus, spread his love and the aroma of Christ wherever I go. My job is a minister. Your job is a minister. Maybe we get paid different, but that's a hard thing for us to wrap our head around. I kind of want to close with a verse that I've just been chewing on all week. What God has made clean, do not call common. In his vision, he was talking about different foods. When you dive into that passage, you find out God wasn't talking about food. He was talking about people. And part of, it's hard for me to live out that calling to be a holy priest because if you're anything like me, you don't always feel holy. How can I live out this calling? I'm not one of those holy people. I had this mess. I have my issues. If you are in Christ, listen to me. Don't you dare call yourself as unclean 
Don't you dare call yourself as common because if you are in Christ, God has declared you clean, not because you earn it, but because of what Christ has done. You go into your job tomorrow. You don't go in there as a messed up, dirty person. You walk in that place as a saint of God, cleansed in his name. You walk in there as a priest, as a minister of the gospel. And don't you dare think, Oh, I'm not one of those holy people. That is a command, folks. What God has made clean, do not call common. Don't call yourself that way. When God said, I have cleansed you by my suffering and by my sacrifice on the cross. So you head in. Wherever you head in tomorrow, I want you to head out to work saying, I'm going to worship. When you get there, when you get to your desk in your cubicle, you proclaim this is holy space because the presence of God in me is here. And today, I give you my offering with my work. Move through me. And I do this primarily as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads and pray? Heavenly Father, we need your help. I think these categories are so deeply ingrained in us. This sacred-secular split is such a deep divide. Seeing the world in this way, but God, I pray that we would hear the voice of God, the way Peter heard the voice of God. Do not call common what you call clean. God, would you begin to blow up these categories in our mind. There aren't sacred spaces and sacred things, but wherever we go, God, it is holy ground, and God, it is so deeply ingrained in us that we are unclean. God, would you remind us of the gospel, that we are a holy priesthood because you have cleansed us. And we, would we go about spreading the aroma of Christ wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.